Welcome to episode 136 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast. Now, when we first set this podcast up, the aim was to speak with practitioners right across the spectrum of sports science, strength conditioning, and essentially anyone that can have an impact on player performance on the pitch of all levels as well. So I'm really excited to release this episode because this episode is with Elliot Turner, who is the head of sports science at Solihull Moors. And we've had a lot of people reaching out before this podcast, probably since the podcast with Jake Simpson, saying um, that they'd like to hear from more practitioners in non-league, in part-time football, in different standards to see what their approach is. Um, So it was great to get Elliot on. We spoke about his journey from a player to a coach. We spoke about some um, of the main priorities in his programming. We talked about creating an elite environment in non-league and some of the aspects and things that he looks for going into a club and the different clubs he's been at. And then some of the main challenges he faces within his role as well. Elliot was brilliant. He was really open and honest with everything he spoke about. And I hope there's loads of takeaways in this one for any coaches in a similar situation. But it ties really nicely in with the last podcast with Damian Roden as well, who basically spoke about his principles and the principles he takes into a number of different clubs, which he can build the program on. And that's something that reflects quite nicely in this po- in this podcast with Elliot, because he's talking about his big rocks, his principles that he takes into clubs. Um, and obviously the resources are going to be a little bit different to what Damien's had at clubs like Manchester City and, and Anderlecht and clubs like that. But essentially, um, the approach is very similar. So it was really good to speak to Elliot and dive into that. And I hope you enjoy the episode with him. Just a quick one before we get into it. I just want to say thank you to everyone that's been on iTunes and left us a review. We've had a few extra five-star reviews coming in recently, which I really appreciate. I mentioned in the previous podcast, anyone that goes on there and leaves us a five-star review, screenshot the review and send it to mail at footballfitfed.com and we will send you out a free ebook as a thank you. So if you've not already left an iTunes review, please go um, onto iTunes, hit the five stars and just leave us a short comment on the episode you've enjoyed the most, maybe the guests you took the most from or some of the topics and subjects that you enjoyed the most or maybe that are taken the most from that you can apply to your role. I really would appreciate it and then make sure you send it over on email. And then just finally, before we dive into it, I just want to say that we are in the process now and very close, actually, of getting our first few events of 2021 confirmed. So our networking events um, that we have held previously, obviously the last year, we've not been able to run any, but we're very close to confirming the first few events of 2021. Some really exciting things coming with the events this year as well. Um, and I'm really excited to bring you a bit more information when we can release that. Um, but they're going to be bigger and better than ever. I can assure you of that. So keep an eye out on our social media. I'll obviously announce them on the podcast as well as soon as we get anything in the diary, Um, but just keep an eye out and it'd be great to see as many of the listeners there as possible. Big thank you again for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Here is the episode with Elliot Turner. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. I'm joined today by Elliot Turner, Head of Sports Science at Solio Moors. Elliot, thanks for coming on. No problem, Ben. No problem. Thanks for reaching out, Paul. I'm looking forward to being a part of your podcast. No problem, mate. How's things going with you? 
Yeah, all good, all good. It's been um, it's been a hectic year, like it has for for everybody in every every industry. But obviously, with us um, in football, we've kind of been we've been all the way through. Uh, obviously, luckily, and obviously, I'm very grateful for that that we've been able to go to work, like and some people haven't. But um, being being able to go to work every day, uh, being out on the training pitch, doing what I, what doing what I love doing, has been um, been really good for us during this uh, pandemic. But yeah, for uh, from a football side of things, it's been it's been hectic. Plenty of games, plenty of um, moments in the season that have not really happened before. Um, mm. With it being the hectic game schedule and the condensed season, um, but yeah, a bit of uncertainty as well during our league whether we were going to continue playing uh, or not, especially in the international league. So it was um, yeah, it's been there's been some times in the, in this year that's been quite testing. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully it's uh, set by itself and we won't see the repeat of a lot of the stuff that's gone on this season. But who knows? Who knows what's going to go on? No, but- I hope so, mate. I hope so. <laughs> I was just saying to you before we started recording that since I did the episode with Jake Simpson, who's at Hartlepool, a few people yeah. have got in touch um, asking about practitioners working in leagues like the National League. So that's why I wanted to reach out to yourself and, and get yourself on to discuss some of the approaches that you take. So we're going to dive into some of that in a little bit. But do you want to just take us into your journey so far? So your career, your background, what led you up to your role now? Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, so for me, I've been involved, I'm 27 now. Uh, I've been involved in football from like an elite level, probably since the age of six years of age. I was actually pre-contracted um, at Wolverhampton Wonders from, from the age of six. Um, so I was still playing like Sunday football in, with my... Um, with my old, my old man's team, so we set up a team. Um, but we, I was pre-contracted to Wolves, so then for when I started at under nines, when the actual games program starts going through the academy levels, then I was I was contracted to Wolves. And at the time, it was quite a young age to be in that environment. There was quite a lot of restrictions still, at like even six, seven, like no school football. No, I was just about got to play with my Sunday team. Um, but yeah, so it was brilliant. So I was at Wolves from the age of six up until 16, um, all the way through. Um, it was, was really, really good. Great experience. Been across the world. I've been playing tournaments. Um, then it got to my scholarship age where I was didn't get a scholarship. Um, and what I say, it was surprising. Um, I was probably shocked by it just from how I was at the football club. So from every age group, I was kind of like captain of the football club. In my age group, I was taken out of school to train with the first team, with the reserve squad, like 15, 16, and the Premier League at the time. And me being a Wolverhampton boy, it was like fantastic training. We've got some first team players who were going watching a Saturday with my dad and season ticket. It was like, you go to school, you tell your friends, like, yeah, I've been training with this, training with this. It's like really, really good. And so... I'm not saying I was thinking I was definitely destined to, to play for Ransom Wonders, but it was more the fact that like, I was I thought I was doing quite well. Mm. Um, they obviously sat me down. I wasn't going to get didn't get a contract, so it was a bit of a, a kick in the teeth, really. Um, but it was one of those ones where I was always um, I've always been brought up to be quite mentally strong. Um, so kind of like the next day. Doncaster Rovers rang me and said, Look, do you want, can you come up for a trial? Ipswich rang me, can you come for a trial? And Shrewsbury rang me, can you go for a trial? And I was like, well, I, I can't like rest rest on it. I've got to go and try and still chase my dream of being a professional footballer. Um, so, yeah, I went to Doncaster. They wanted to wanted to sign me there. Um, then I, still, I said, I've got a few options still that I wanted to go. 
Um, then I actually went to Shrewsbury to play a game for the under-18s on a Saturday. I remember we were playing Carlisle and um, I was only 15 at the time. And for myself personally, obviously working in football now, you can see like how people progress physically. So like in, from a 15, 16-year-old boy, I was still probably going through my adolescence. I hadn't really started as such. I was quite a late developer. So I was going to play 18s football. And like I turned up and I was like, what is going on? And people have beards and everything. My hairy chest and it's changing. I didn't have a clue what was going on, mate. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I knew some of the boys there. I went to school with some of the boys and played with some of the boys previously at Shrewsbury. And it probably wasn't one of the clubs that I actually wanted to go to, in, in, in all fairness. Like, no disrespect to Shrewsbury because I had a great time there. Um, but I played um, it, and it was superb. And Dave Hughes, the head of the under-18s at the time, he'd been at Wales. He's at, he's at Southampton. He was at Southampton. Um, He's back at Cardiff City now um, as, like, head of the academy. Um, he actually said to me, I can't promise you you'll get a professional contract here, but I can promise you that I'll make you a better footballer. And all the years of coaching that I had at Wolves for 10 years, no one actually ever said that to me. Even though it was a great setup, no one ever said, I'm going to make you a better footballer. So for me, it was like, I've got to try and be the best I can be. And if this guy's going to really sit down and try and help me and talk coaching for two years to try and be the best player I can be, then... I'll take that. I'll take that. Like, it was superb. Um, so, yeah, I signed there for two years scholarship and I signed a professional deal there in the end. Um, in myself and Ryan Woods, who's now at, um, he was, he was at Brentford, he's at Millwall now. Um, we, we were the two that um, got professional contracts there. So, it was it was great time. Obviously, I was under Graham Turner there. It was a bit of a, bit of a legend in the game, working with Aston Villa and won the European Cup there. Um, but it was a bit didn't really get a chance. If I'm honest, the young players didn't really get a chance under him. Um, I, I left there, I had a good time on loan at time within the conference and what which is the National League that I'm in now. Um, and I, I didn't get I didn't get contract extension. Um, so I kind of left there, went back to Tamworth, was playing a bit of top part-time football. But in my last year, in my last year, the pro contact year at my Shrewsbury, I actually started an online university open course for doing sports and exercise science. Um, just because I was really interested in it in terms of when I was at Wolverhampton Wonders, the, um, the head of sports science there for the academy was a guy called John Iger. Um, he's, a, he's been Huddersfield, he was at England and that as well, I think, previously. Um, and it was kind of all coming into it, all the GPS and the heart rate stuff was kind of coming into it, all the gym program. They had a brand new gym at the Compton Training Facility at Wolverhampton Wonders and it was like, this is something really interesting. It's different from coaching. So it's something different really like made my kind of brain tick. And so if I have a career, so I'm 35, 36, I'd love to go into this and still be in part of football. So I did an online degree uh, for a year while I was still coming to the end of my time at Shrewsbury. And then when I went back into, I went into part-time football, I ended up finishing two years at Worcester University, uh, finishing my degree up there. Um, and then it was kind of my last year at Worcester University. I got asked to go into Worcester Warriors. So this is where like, I kind of started to become in the role that I do now. So I did an internship at Worcester Warriors and they offered me, offered me a place there. They were impressed with how I was an, as an individual, how I was quite into the sport, uh, even though I didn't really, rugby wasn't my background, but it was, mm. I really got into the sport. And I suppose from being in a football background and being in a changing environment, I wasn't scared to go and speak to people. I wasn't scared to go and uh, ask people questions or have a conversation with players or having one-to-one sessions with the players in, in any kind of manner, whether it's just uh, sitting down, going through data, sitting down, going through a gym plan, sitting down, talking about a game. 
like it's just being that person, having that personality and being out there. I think from an intern, an intern point of view, they were quite impressed. They offered me a role there. Um, so I actually went into an elite, elite environment straight away, like Premiership Rugby. Um, and it was actually a guy, my first day that I was there, the guy called Donica O'Callaghan. So in rugby, he's like an absolute legend. And I've rocked up into Worcester Warriors training, training ground at the stadium. And uh, I'm sitting there waiting for Carl, Carl Goggin. He was the head of sports science there when I was there, and he's now working for the EIS. So I was waiting for him upstairs and like where they're having breakfast. And this Donica's like, I didn't know who, didn't know at the time. He's like, oh, do you want a drink or do you want any breakfast? And I'm just like, nah, man, I'm okay, mate. He's like six foot nine. He's like massive. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm crafting myself thinking, just don't say anything bad. Um, and he's like, he's like, yeah, I'll get you a drink. So made me a drink, made me like a bacon sandwich. And I'm thinking, like, who's this guy? And then, yeah. Carl Goggin comes up and he's like, you got your feet under the table early, haven't you? And I'm like, I, I didn't ask for it, I didn't ask for it. And he said, like, do you know him? And I'm like, no, I don't know him. I don't know anything about rugby. And he was like, oh, he's played like over 100 times for Ireland and captain the Lions squad. And I just thought like straight away, the environment being there was like, the guy's like an absolute rugby legend and he's just made an intern a bacon sandwich. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like, why not shouldn't even be having a bacon sandwich because it's not great. So like, Them guys eat anything but um, but yeah, so that was like a real big insight for me, the environment of what I've got to go be, be into. Um, and then kind of, the, they wanted to keep me on there um, as in my role that I was doing there, assisting Kyle. But from a financial point of view, it was quite, it was quite tough. Uh, I know there's been a lot, there's a lot of conversations in the last few years, obviously being in my role that I see and I see on Twitter, see on Instagram, people talking about salaries and stuff like that. And it was for me, I was putting in like getting in at five in the morning there and then finishing at four. And I wasn't, I was hardly earning a penny. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And it's not about money at that time, it's about experience. But because I went to university quite late and came out of my role quite late because of playing football, it was, I need to start earning a a bit of a salary now. Um, So I kind of turned down the job just because I thought I I want to try and get back into football and I want to try and um, obviously start earning a bit more money in terms of. To financially support myself so I got in touch with uh, my old physio who was head of medical at the time at, at Shrewsbury um, Chris Skitt I think he's, a, he's back at Burnley now back in the game at Burnley um, he um, I just rang him up and said Skitty can I can I come down and shadow shadow whoever's there in terms of sports science obviously I know that you're there as head of medical so you want to try and learn as much as I can because I was still learning it was my first year in that role in that environment um so yeah, I said no problem came down. So we went down into pre-season time, just before pre-season. And the guy himself under the um, previous manager, um, he kind of left within a day of being there. So he handed his notice in and left. And so I kind of went in as like shadowing to then going in, doing the role. So in life, you need a bit of luck. Um, and I went there and it was just like, right, you got to start planning pre-season. You got, and I'm like, what? Hang on, hang on. I've only come into shadow. And then I'm just straight in pre-season, straight in planning this, planning that. So it was like, again, throw, throwing at the deep end. Um, so obviously being at Worcester Warriors, Elite Premiership Rugby, and then now at Shrewsbury, back at the club that I went and played for, it was a it was a big thing. Um, and to be fair, the season, we, we did we did do really well. Obviously, we got to the final. 
Um, and we got to St. John's Paint Trophy final as well. So it was a good, um, it was a great season for myself and great learning curve. Um, Paulhurst left and went to Ipswich. Um, Skitty actually left and went to Ipswich as well. And then they all kind of brought a new management team in, in football. Obviously, they've been, people bring their own men in. Uh, so I left and actually, this is when I first dipped into being into non-league. So I went to Kidderminster Harriers, who were in the Conference North. Um, and for me, it was a... And it was a club that went down. The ambition, the training ground was like superb. The ambition of what they wanted to do, plans-wise, they were full-time. So for me, being in a full-time environment, I'm always going to be learning. Um, I actually went went and signed there, obviously, to be the, the sports scientist and strength and conditioning coach. But they had no gym, they had no GPS or anything in place, and it was like, well. Well, what, what am I actually going to do here other than take warm-ups, you know what I mean, and, and potentially provide some nutrition, nutrition information for players. Um, so I got in touch with um, Birmingham City University. Um, we kind of created a partnership there and got some like, live data in, being able to use some testing equipment because these guys had, I've gone from Shrewsbury, who've had like a brand new training ground, brand new training facility to go into Kidderminster Harriers they, which I'm so much grateful for because they gave me an opportunity to go and work and really implement my philosophy and learn. Um, but that I had to start from scratch. So yeah. getting a GPS system involved, trying to help with training loads. I've gone like trying to work out training loads in my environment here to then go in here, just going out and playing. Like no, no thought on training, no planning on training. So the, the chairman at the time, Colin Gordon, asked me to go in and said, like, right, it's a blank canvas, just go and you want to real try and have a high performance environment where we can try and get league players to come down to to be at this football club because we want to try and push on because it, it was a, it's a big football club kid so the fan base are a, a bit great uh, and they don't deserve to be where they're at they actually deserve to be higher at the pyramid and uh, especially with the infrastructure they've got mm. um so it was it was that was my first part of going into non-league <laughs> like with nothing um, so obviously trying to then get a buy-in, which I think personally is a massive, massive trait for people in, in, in my role. Like you have to have a buy-in from players. Yeah. And I think it was in the non-league environments, it was some weren't really wanting to do it, but then others were like, yeah, I really want it. I really want to do this because it was something new to them. They'd never done a gym program before. They'd never used for a GPS monitor. They were all looking at the iPad on the first day of pre-season, like how much of a run, and because they'd never had it previously for a few years. So for me, that sense of buying was brilliant straight away because it was no one had ever seen it before. So whatever I was saying, it was kind of like what goes. Yeah. Um, no one was questioning what was being said because they hadn't had anybody in that role previously. Um, so it was a. I was spent two years there. It was a really good time. Um, just worked under some real good managers, Neil McFarlane, who's at Brentford B now, doing a great job there. Learned learned so much off him. Um, and then John Pemberton came in my second year, um, who's an ex Premier League footballer. He's worked mm-hmm. at Bristol City. He's developed the likes of Harry Maguire through Sheffield United's academy. Carl Walker. Um, so I've worked in the non-league environment with some actual real elite coaches and managers. Um, and I think that's helped me real drive standards and drive that elite performance um, environment in, in any sector, whether that be tactical, technical, um, and obviously then with, with what I do in sports science and, and strength and conditioning. So it was it real good to be working in non-league with um, 
two guys that have come from from the top. Obviously, Noah Farlan working with Coventry and Stephen Presley. Um, it, it, it was brilliant to work with, and obviously John Pemberton with the career he's had and the standards that he sets to obviously want to be a player, and obviously to where he's worked at Bristol City and Sheffield United. It was like I've got to be on point. I've got to do everything I can. I can't go through the motions. I can't try this. I can't try that. It's got to be Bob on it all the time. Um, so yeah, I came to my end of my time at um, Kidderminster Harriers just because I thought I needed a new challenge. Um, and in the pre, probably the last nine weeks before the pandemic hit the first time. Uh, in terms of the first lockdown, um, Jimmy Shan, um, the old West Bromwich Albion manager, he was caretaker manager there, and obviously under, he was an assistant under Darren Moore, then took over for, I think, like 10, 11 games in the Championship and playoffs, uh, playoffs uh, semi-finals against Villa. He came in as a voluntary role just to get back coaching because he was he left West Bromwich Albion on garden leave, and he came as a voluntary role. I'd never met him previously. I'd heard about him uh, do some real good work in their academy all throughout the years and obviously working with the first team but I never met him and he was there for nine weeks and when he left he, he gave me a, a bit of a call and just said listen I've, I've loved, loved working with you I've loved what you've done um, I'm going to Solly or Moors do you fancy coming with me next year mm. um, so I was like yeah obviously it's a, it's a new challenge for me Solly or Moors were like a and now now I've been working there a real up and coming National League club they haven't got much history but uh, our owners are, are um very ambitious and, and, and back in the club very well. Um, so kind of had the conversation uh, with Jimmy and yeah, I left Killing his house to go to Solihull Moors. Um, so I, I went there this year. Obviously, we, it was a bit, we didn't know when we were going to be starting in terms of the season starting or whether it was ever going to start again at some stage. Um, so we had a lot of planning doing during the summer um, at Solihull. We've had a brand new training ground. Um, and for me, it was again being a part of that, being a part of that planning has been been really good. Obviously, still working in non-league, but planning a, a facility that the club want to go to League Two, League One, and obviously the Championship if they want to. Do you know what I mean? Because they've got the capability in terms of the, I suppose the ambition and the and the um, financial backing. We can we can probably do that as a football club. Whether that's going to happen in this short period of time, whether it's going to take a long period of time, that they're, they're in it for the long haul, which is a really good project for to be a part of and I want it to be a part of. Um, chairman gave us um, a, a structure and was like, right, to me and the physio, like, you've got to build a gym. Mm. So I was like, okay, so fantastic. We were building a brand new gym on site previously. at kidding me, so we had no gym. We were going to like a, uh, the gym group as such. Like, we were working there with all the public there, um, when previously at Solihull Moors before they were going to like a Virgin gym and just being, being around the public and the chairman really wanted it to be to be on site so we've we've got a brand new gym facility on site that's me I designed with the physio this uh, this summer so again that's something in my role that I've done so far in my recent um, experience and only being young in my career I've actually designed and built a gym facility which is quite which is quite good and it's a great experience and I think it's one of the Thing like a head of performance or a director of performance would do, a, a, like a, a bigger club, they would be part of that. And I've never had a budget before. Like I've, I've been given a budget this year. It was like, yeah. okay, you've got this on, on nutrition, you've got this on strength and conditioning, you've got this for the gym. So I'm like, well, I've never had any money before to spend or whatever. I've got to have to do things on a budget, like not on a budget, but like as minimal as possible. Like kidding me, so I was buying my own nutrition uh, supplements for the players. I was like, just because I thought it was the right thing to do. Like I wanted to implementing that into the football club 
So I'd go and get gels, I'd go and get hydration tablets, I'd go and get like caffeine gels or sweets for a game and mm. beetroot juice and things like that, just to try and really implement and get a buy from the players. And I think that me doing that allowed them to really think that I was looking after them. And I wasn't doing it for that. I wasn't doing it for like a well done or a thumbs up, you're, you're the best, you're that. I was doing it because I thought it was the right thing to do. Yeah. So this year, having a budget and having that, like, this is nutrition, this is sports science, this is your strength conditioning budget, build the gym. It was it was superb, but it's obviously a new thing for me as well. Um, and with the gym now, the um, they've actually, um, we've had three championship clubs see it online through people we know at the football club who actually want to copy our gym. Um, so it's, even whether it's for their academy or whether it's for their first team. Um, so it's, again, that's that's nice to hear that people have come down and saw it or people have seen it over social media or I mean some of our people on the board and technical directors they know people working in the championship and they said oh your gym facility would be brilliant oh, we'd like we got something on that our training ground whether it's for the under 18s and 23 separate to the first team or something the first team can have on their site so again it's like a great experience and a, a bit of a like I suppose in a way I'm very thankful for the, the club to give me the opportunity to, to do that because mm. it's like something in my role at 27 that I probably wouldn't been able to do yet as such you know what I mean so I'm, I'm very pleased with that um so yeah obviously then that's that's where I am today I do a bit of um I also work with John Phillips I think you spoke to John Phillips before he's now at Krasnodar so John I actually met on holiday about two years ago in Dubai I was on holiday, <laughs> with, on a holiday with my missus and he's just set up K3 performance out there yeah and I, and I said to my missus, like, these guys, they're, 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 training all the, they're training all the footballers and that. Like, they must do something that I do because it's not just technical. They're in the gym, they're doing whatever. I'm going to have a chat with them. So I went and chatted to them, chatted to them by the pool. Um, and now I'm kind of like involved as such with, with KFP performance. Like I wanted to go and help. I said, listen, can I come and help out? Can I come and watch you work? And Because he was he just left QPR at the time and we both had a few people in common that we knew at QPR. So that kind of got the conversation going. Uh, told him where I'm at, told him what I've been doing and stuff. And so yeah, I'm also I also do a bit with KFB performance out in out in the Middle East at, at times when, when we when we can. The first year we did it, it was brilliant. So ended up going from watching him once and then ended up like working there for to work with him every day. And this just worked very happy. Uh, but yeah, so I've got an argument where I never saw him. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was right there. And so just because I'm like with myself being quite ambitious and, and young and wanting to be improve it was like oh, this is an opportunity I'm working with Premier League footballers championship footballers working with a guy who's had unbelievable experience and really well thought of in the game of sports science and conditioning I've got to go and take this now opportunity to, to develop and, and learn um, and I think that's another trait as a, as a practitioner that you have to keep learning all the time I think it's a massive thing that you can't just have your philosophy and that's it there's either going to be new things that come along or bits and pieces that you see that people are doing or some coaches that have done with previous uh, strength conditioning coaches or sports scientists at all the clubs that you want to implement and think, yeah, that's actually quite good. So I think that the biggest thing for a practitioner is always learning and that was an opportunity for me um, to keep learning. So again, I class him kind of as one of my mentors now. I speak to him all the time. I actually spoke to him the other day. He said he's not ignoring you, by the way. Um, <laughs> so he just said Everybody to say hello. Me. Don't worry about it. <laughs> he said to say hello. He's not ignoring you. Yeah, uh, but again, like, I'm always always on the phone to him, trying to trying to learn and just ask, ask advice. So 
yeah, it's again something that's come early in my career to meet somebody of such um, well regarding the game um, to, to go and learn. I think it's, it's brilliant so far. Brilliant. I think there's so many takeaways from your story for, for coaches to hear, but two stand out for me, big ones. Networking and knowing people in the game. But And you you spoke a little bit about luck and going into clubs at certain times and obviously ending up in roles and stuff, but you have to be there at that time, don't you, to get those opportunities? Of course, of course yeah. Of so course. I think that's... I think the, networking's massive. Yeah, and that's a big thing. And that's what you spoke about right the way through uh, in terms of your, your background and the story so far is that that's essentially what you've done, isn't it? You've pulled on people that you've known and you've, you've seen yeah. if there's an opportunity there and then maximise the opportunity. But also, the thing yeah. we've spoken about a lot on the podcast, and this is where I hope a lot of young, younger practitioners listen, is that the opportunities in non-league or the lower leagues, you can really maximise those roles, can't you? And like you say, designing the gym, having a real impact with players, maybe going into a club that hasn't got a lot in place, having real yeah. impact at that level is something that you can do. And there's more and more clubs... In, in need for it and wanting it right now, isn't there? So they're the, they're the big two that stand out for me, that people should listen to what you're saying and yeah. sort of try and relate it to their careers as well. Yeah, I think that the the roles, like, would I have gone down the role of going into an academy system in terms of working your way up from like a 9 to 16, then to an 18 to 23s? That for me, that's a fantastic way of learning because you're working with you're working in a really elite environment and you're working with real big people who are thought of in the game to be to be top of their top of their game as well. That and you're going to real, build a real big base of that. But for me, then for me going straight into a first team environment, it was would I ever go back into academy? Yes, I, I, of course I would. I'd, I'd love to go into academy role with a, with a huge football club because again I can learn on part of a huge football club, but. I'm actually really pleased that I've gone into non-league and I'm pleased that I have been pushed into the deep end in terms of working at elite level straight away with Worcester and Shrewsbury. Mm. And then going coming down now, this, I suppose this time coming back down to non-league. And by the way, the, like luckily for me, the clubs I've been at in non-league are, are quite ambitious football clubs. They've all been full-time. They've not been part-time clubs where you see the players once or twice a week with a game. Well, and you can implement something. I've actually been a full time where I have a philosophy, I have a program in place that I can try and implement throughout the season. And also along the way, I suppose from a selfish point of view, being non-league, I've learned. I've learned a lot with my, about myself, and learned a lot about developing my own philosophy and program, what things work and what things don't work. Yeah. And I yeah. think being in the non-league environment, it's kind of, uh, I suppose, a, a blessing in a way. Like I don't see it as. I'm in non-league, like, this is, this is not good enough or whatever. Like, the clubs have been a, a, a brilliant and have been ambitious and I'm so grateful for the opportunity that they've, they've given me to help and develop. Because I think if you if I did this podcast three years ago, I would, I'd be, I wouldn't know what to say. If I'm honest, yeah. I wouldn't know, I yeah. have a clue what to say. And now I could, one, obviously there's so many things that you obviously don't have in non-league, but how much I've developed as a practitioner it's huge. So any any young guys out there coming out of university, just go just go down to non-league and whatever level it is, and go just go and graph, just go and do the work and try and implement a philosophy. And you'll get if you if you work with whatever level you work at in non-league, if you 
maximise the potential of one player, you, you, you can do your job and then you can go at a higher level and maximise two, three, four, and you'll get to a t- time where you're working with a whole team and you've got to buy in from a whole team. Um, I think there's a lot of young young lads coming out of the game now that have been in academy systems of a high level um, or league clubs at a high level at 18, 19, first year pros getting released and going to non-league yeah. that they expect that the information, they expect the um, professionalism, but then when they don't get it, it's like kind of throwing the dummies out of a pram. But if you can work with those players and you know that they've been at that level and they've got that professionalism, they can help you drive your philosophy. They can help you drive that and really embed it into the people who are probably not so into it or not so wanting to learn at an older age or just have kind of, everyone says, that non-league mentality. Um, now, luckily, I've been at, um, like I said, clubs that haven't really had that non-league mentality. They want to um, be ambitious and, and, and go as far as they can in the football pyramid. And so they've had to recruit the players to, to match that. The players have matched that uh, ambition um, and their professionalism. So and alongside the managerial appointments, like I've said, it's been not just... There's no disrespect to any non-league managers. They're all, they're all brilliant out there, what they do. But what I'm trying to say is the clubs that I've been at, the, what they've, who they've employed in the managerial role, that's actually shown the ambition and shown the drive of the professionalism and standards. So... Again, it's helped me, but then the players alongside that have helped everything go go to a good position. Just a very quick update on our online community. We have uploaded a brand new webinar from Val Performance. So anyone that doesn't know about Val Performance, they're the makers of the Norboard, Forstex, Forceframe, and loads of other bits of kit that numerous professional clubs will be using within their gyms and their facilities. So Val have been great. They've presented a webinar for our community members on systems and implementation of those systems. They spoke about some of the research that they're doing and then also what's new and what's coming in the future at Vald. So you can check it out. Anyone that's a member of the community, just go on to, just log into your account and go onto the video library and you can watch the full webinar there from Vald. Anyone that's not already a member, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab at the top, sign up, go through the full sign up process and that will give you one month free on the community. After that, it is only £4.99 per month going forward and you'll get continued access to all the current webinars and presentations that are available. You'll also get future webinars and when our networking events restart, you'll get the presentations from those webinars as well or those events as well. And we've got loads of great partner discounts available on the community as well. Just to run off a few, Soccer Supplement have given us um, some discounts on their products. Pulse Roll, um, we've also got discounts off David Gray's programs as well. So David's a former guest on the podcast. And then also the most recent one is 10% off Physique Management. Um, so you can go to Physique's website and see all the kit that they've got on there from mini bands. Um, numerous di- different bits of kit they've got and all community members will get discount off their products as well. We also have got some partnerships to announce very soon as well coming over the next few weeks. So really si- exciting times for the community. But if you're not already a member, go to footballfitfair.com, click the community tab and sign up there to get access to all the benefits, all the webinars, all the presentations. 
Here's part two of the podcast with Elliot Turner. Yeah, because that's what I was going to say, because some of the names you've mentioned that are coaching at that level, whether it is on a voluntary basis, like you mentioned before, or dropping down to find an opportunity back in the football league, players coming yeah. out of the higher levels, but also players at that level. And we all know good examples of players that have played at that level and gone on to the very top of the game that want that yeah. elite environment, don't they? So people working in that environment, and yes, resources, finances are going to come into it, but that doesn't yeah. mean that you can't operate in an elite way, does it? Like what you said about rugby, uh, the rugby yeah. club before. Yeah, of course, no, definitely. And I think that the it, obviously being in non-league and obviously working in the league and obviously playing playing for a football league club at the time, it was um, the standard of footballer is probably not the that much difference, in my opinion. Obviously, you'll have the standout few. But I think now you see in the FA Cup ties that that they're dealing with League One, League Two teams as in like a real good go. And you see more non-league teams now progressing. Obviously, Lincoln did a fantastic job of it a few years ago under under the Cowley brothers. And I think that it was something that made non-league teams think that we can we can really have a go here. There's not much difference in between. If we can potentially financially back the club a little bit more, we've got more chance of of going up. Uh, and being in that football pyramid because at the end of the day that's what every non-league football club wants to do they want to hit that league two status and kind of then get themselves up the pyramid again but I think that the um, the standard of player isn't that much different in terms of some superb players down in conference football um, and sorry National League football whether that be the Premier or North and South um, but I think that the levels of sometimes professionalism like I've mentioned and then also the levels of athleticism and, and physicality is what um, sees the, the top boys from the National League and those guys go and get those moves yes they've been superbly tactically um, and technically during the seasons but the guys that have moved on have, all, have also got that physical capability to go and go and work at that level of League One League Two because I do think there is a difference to a certain degree. Yeah, definitely. And I was just going to jump to a question we got sent in because I put it out on our social media because I said to you before, we have people saying about after the episode with Jake. Um, yeah. So a couple of things in terms of more the S&C side. So Owen Jackson's actually sent a question in saying, uh, how do you, as an S&C or sports scientist, make sure that players don't overdo it in training, but also... He's interested to hear on the approach on the gym side of things where players are playing so many games or playing like three times a week. Yeah. Um, I think that for me, it's been, um, obviously this year has been, has been crazy as we've spoken about with how condensed the season has been, how many games we've played. I think we've played, I mean, one of the stages this year, we played seven away games on the bounce. We played, we covered... We were Dover one week away. Then we were up to Hartlepool, down against Jake's team. Then we were down to um, Bromley. Then we were up back to, oh, it was, it's been crazy. We were seven game away games in the bounce. And I generally don't think that's ever happened to any football team at any level in any year of football. And I'm not making excuses at the time, but it was just like, we're away again. Again, like I spent more hours on the coach than I saw my missus that, that those few weeks it was honestly it was crazy um so i think that the going back to your question on players overdoing it it was a case of 
at that time it was monitoring. So luckily for me, we had the live GPS system. So we're luckily enough. So I kind of used what I used at Kidderminster and then went back to Birmingham City University and said, right, I've moved. I've moved to Solio Moors. Obviously, I've had interns previously. We were using the equipment. We were giving you all the testing. You had all our data to go and do lectures with. Can I kind of rebuild that um, structure? Can I go and re rebuild that relationship with yourself now at Solio Moors? Um, and obviously, with the pandemic, it's been a little bit difficult, but they've been great there at BCU. Um, helping us with testing equipment and we've got, got the live data again. Because we started off the season with no live data. We just had the player um, units. So again, for me, it was something that was um, foreign to me, not having the live data and, and the planning really had to be on point, especially during pre-season. Your planning has to be on point in terms of your sessions that you do, log the sessions and then kind of break the sessions up in terms of what, what point how much you were doing in each part of the session. So say I had a warm-up, a technical, a possession, um, an 11v11 or a 5v5, I was having to really break that data down, uh, like most like most coaches do for their planning, but in terms of, because we had no live data, to see right, how much of the warm-up cover, how much of the technical cover. And then, so if the manager the next day wanted to do something similar to that technical previously, I can go, right, okay, that technical, we did 1K and that technical there. So I was having to kind of like add it up in my head before training to see what the actual load was going to be because you couldn't, you can't obviously see what you've done during the session. So for me, it was a real big thing with, again, to match the ambition of the football club to try and implement a real elite environment by trying to get um, live data in. Now, from a budget point of view, again, we still are non-league. Yes, the club are, are back in, the, back in the, the staff and back in the team in terms of from a financial point of view, but there's obviously going to be a bar that you can't keep going over. Obviously, we had a brand new gym on site, so it was like, right, there's your little, that, that's your kind of money there, so you're not getting any money anywhere else, which is fine, which is perfect. Obviously, adaptability, again, is another trait in a, in a practitioner that I think is massive, being adaptable in certain areas and trying to make things work is, is a huge thing. Um, so we've got the live data, and for me, it was superb for the physio and myself to have meetings every morning to discuss training loads, uh, look at the recovery element of things, look at how much people are doing from an acute chronic point of view. Um, and then the, we, we have had quite a few injuries this year. Uh, and obviously for myself, I, I kind of take it quite personal because it's like, what can I do better to prevent these injuries happening? Uh, and every time someone went down with like a, a quad strain or a hamstring strain, even if it was like a grade one where it was seven to 10 days, in this season, it's like three games. Yeah. Whereas normally it can be one game and the manager's like, yeah, okay, I can deal with it for one game. But then to be out for three games, maybe one of your main players, it's like, oh my God, like the pressure's on, the stress is mm -hmm. on to one getting back, two again, make sure it doesn't happen. Yeah. So again, we implemented getting the, the Nord board in. We've got a growing bar in from Valve and just really trying to make the environment elite. So we've got the gym on site with the live day, we've got match day uh, plus two monitoring going on um, to real get the see where the players are at basically physically um, and obviously I think in, in our roles we can only advise you can have as much of a say you can have much as an argument but at the end of the day it doesn't come down to you who plays and who doesn't play you can only yeah. advise in your role uh, yeah. so we, we me and the physio have produced data this year where we're like okay so and so struggling or so and so maybe might need a rest um, we've had how crazy the game schedules have been but then again the consistency of what the managers want in terms of the same 11 playing 
to, to build those playing relationships, it, it's difficult to go to the manager he's not playing today or he's yeah. not playing today, he's going to struggle because, but then it's always a gamble, right? He's borderline red zone. You, you're gonna, do you want him for one game or do you want to miss him for seven games? Just something like that. And it's so that stuff there, we've had to real, real dig, <laughs> dig our feet in, I suppose, and go, right, okay, let's try and get a real good grasp of this. Um, and then again, looking at the, the gym side of things, it's been difficult this year to get some real strengthening in players. Um, I think we've come, when we've had a few muscular injuries this year, I mean, a lot of, like I said, we've had a lot of injuries this year. A lot of them have been to, to key players, but they have been kind of contact injuries or knee injuries as such that one, potentially could come down to neuromuscular fatigue uh, or two, uh, down to just the, the game schedule. Obviously, when you have so many games, there's, there's more contact, there's more time they're playing, there's more time, chances of them getting injured. Uh, but the, the, there has been a few muscle strains that we've looked at and we've developed. Obviously, as we've developed a plan across the season with the schedule, we've kind of tried to, we've limited those muscular strains now, uh, which has been really good, but again, it's a learning curve for us. Um, but previously with the gym work, we think that, we spoke about it with them being in lockdown, the players finishing in March and then coming back into uh, pre-season or so you want to call it in September. For us, that's a massive, massive gap that there's been no strengthening work in there. Now, you can run as much as you want. You can go on 5k runs that a lot of players are doing, like timings and stuff there in competitions, 10k timings they were trying to do and but if you're not trained and you're not strong enough to deal with that load, to deal with going into high speed running and into sprint, sprinting, you're going to have an injury of some sort. And we were, I was trying in the off season, I knew we were having a gym, I was trying to get the equipment as quick as I could to potentially send some stuff out to players to their homes because I knew that it could potentially be a problem um, during the pre-season and during the season itself with the game schedule that the lads are actually fit, but they're actually not strong enough to deal with the load. So you're always going to pick up those little niggles that are going to take players out for seven to ten days. So I think for me, going back to Owen's question, we looked at, obviously we, my philosophy, I'd do uh, lowers and leg, well, legs on a Tuesday and then upper body on a Thursday, just with the schedule we had. But with the so many games on a Tuesday this year, the lads have hardly done any leg sessions. Uh, so we kind of introduced uh, some isometric training on a Thursday. So when they were doing their uh, upper body work, after their upper bodies, they were they reintroduced some isometric work. Um, so we did some like calf holds, um, some split squat holds, um, Copenhagen's, hamstring bridges, um, just to try and get, get some muscle recruitment in there and try and get some strength in into the players. Now we built it up from say two sets of 15 seconds to two sets of 20 seconds then to add weight. Uh, we built up across the season and we've, we've actually managed to see a decrease in, in the muscular injuries and whether that's whether that's players getting used to the playing game after game after game and actually strengthening work or whether it's actually taking an effect, we, we don't know, but we're still implementing that and I think it's something that I'll take into next season even more so that when we still are Saturday to Saturday, I potentially would do... Um, yeah, your legs on your Tuesday and then also your isometrics alongside or some power work on a Thursday, just some light power work to get in, into the boys um, to again make, make them more robust. Um, so yeah, that's that's the answer to, to Owen's question, but I can't give him too much because we're playing him on Saturday. <laughs> I was just about to say that, yeah, you can have you can have a, a pitch side debate on that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, what, what was the, what's the reason for the ISOs then? 
Um, just to really grasp that um, strengthening element into the pads and building that strength into there. So those holes and putting that, those, obviously there's no eccentric contraction there. So there's going to be no muscle damage as such. So yeah, people go, why are we doing, like when we first did it, the lads were like, why are we doing uh, legs as such? Yeah. And I'm like, it's not really a leg session. Yeah. You're not going to cause any muscular damage. There's going to be no muscle soreness coming from isometrics. You are just literally trying to recruit muscle fibers in there with the holes. And obviously when we've added the weight, um, when we've got, we've obviously periodized it and we've added the weight throughout the season, um, it's been it's been quite rewarding. But we've again we've had two COVID breaks this year, so we were then we've had the gym. Then the gym got put on like a four or five people allowed in the gym at a time. Then when you got a squad of twenty odd players, it's like every freaking 10, 15 minutes someone's having to do isometrics. By the the last group, they probably they don't want to do it. Do you know what I mean? So again, trying to get that buy in. Then lads are coming in saying, "Oh, I'm sore." I'm like you're not sore, you're just making it up. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you, you put on, you put on your wellness this morning. You're all good to go. Your readiness to train, your wellness is one. So you either lie on your wellness, which we do for a reason, or you just don't want to do the isometric work. Um, but again, we've seen a real good reward in it in terms of, of keep continuing doing that. Uh, but when we had the breaks from the COVID breaks that we've had in terms of isolation as a squad. When we've lost that, even that two-week break, whether it be from a running point of view, and trying to you can't you can send in runs to do, but it's not like a, you can never recreate the intensity of football. Um, and then obviously with that again missing that block of two weeks for the their isometric work, again we picked up little little seven to day little seven to ten day injuries for a couple of players that again when you come back in from COVID you got a backlog of fixtures and they've missed like three games. So again it was. We know that when a consistent basis of isometric work, we've we, well, we've seen this year that there's been um, a reduction in, in muscle injuries. And if that's a key lesson for you going into next season, that you're going to try and keep that within the program, is there anything else that springs out for you as a main takeaway from this year that that you might take um, into future seasons as well? I think well, I've, had, I've had a conversation with a few practitioners about this, and it's like what you've done so maybe something you've implemented this year that hasn't worked or maybe something you've implemented this year that has worked sometimes doesn't really mean it's going to work next year yeah because the season's completely different so try and take a bit of a bit of both and implement it next year and, and kind of see see how you get on but have obviously a, a plan behind it and organized periodization behind it because you might have done something this year that might not have been suited or fitted to the period of time for the season, but next year with that seven that seven day break, sometimes between a game and a game, hopefully. you can really implement a program. Well, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> for me, anyway, I don't think I'd do this job anymore if I could. <laughs> it's been crazy. Um, but yeah, so um, yeah, just so trying to implement something that's not different but implement something that might have worked or might not work and just have a, a good plan with it I mean I've come up with a plan this year that's something that I want to implement things that I haven't been able to do because of the COVID restrictions like we would, we've been doing analysis sessions outside freezing we've been doing analysis sessions sometimes just online like the, the manager's been sending um, a video that he's produced himself and send it to the players in the WhatsApp group so we're not contained together Obviously, gym gym's been really tough this year to do because of how many people in the gym. We've had like three or four gym groups at a time. 
uh, activation before training. Again, it's been a tough one. We've got a brand new super gym facility. And most of the season, we haven't really been able to be in it as such. Yeah. But it's been very restrictive. So then getting the groups of six, seven people at a time with masks on, trying to do the gym work, it, it has been tough. So next year, hopefully, we can really have a, a good program in terms of access, more activation, more core work, more power work, more plyometric work. Um, because these are all things I've wanted to do, but I haven't been able to implement. And I think that now we've got a real good um, element on monitoring. We've got a real good system for match day plus two monitoring as well after games to see how the guys are, are recovering. Um, really looking at um, the obviously the isometric work that we've done, the wellness stuff that we do, and then adding in some little more bits and pieces that we want to do as a, as a, as a medical team. I think we can we can have a real real good strong elite environment. Um, and I know I spoke to you previously, um, obviously before we started this, that we've had players in this year on loan from. Um, league clubs, um, Premier League clubs, Championship clubs that are young boys that are coming in. That what we're doing, they don't do it at their football clubs, and that's like no disrespect to their parent clubs, but it's like for us, it's like okay, well, really, we're actually ahead of some football clubs, whether it be from a financial point of view or whether it be from a uh, innovative point of view in terms of thinking on your feet and I think that like I said previously having to work in that league with nothing at all to then having to produce these ideas it's like my brain's always having to try and think of ways that we can try and be better uh, instead of having it all given to you and go right you can use that if you want to like stories of football clubs having cryotherapy chambers 120 grand cryotherapy chambers and there's like they don't get used and not even turned on yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, that's just like a something that I'd, I'd love to have or something like that I'd love to have, the, the facilities to, to use that kind of stuff, where it's like we're having to kind of be creative and, and trying to be adaptable to, to these situations. So I think that, again, the boys who have come to us, that they're really, again, they're brought into it because it's something new. Like they're not doing it at their parent clubs. They're not doing the games they're supposed to do testing. They're not having the gym facility that we've got on site. Do you know what I mean? They've got like a little, they've got a few barbells here or barbells or some dumbbells there to do some work, which again is, I've got no problem with that because I've been there, I've had no equipment. But then like having to really build that um, elite environment now and for them to come down and say, yeah, well, this is great, you're doing this here, this is superb, this is good, this is really good. It's like kind of a, a nice thing to hear when you've you've been you've been down there with nothing, you've kind of created a, a bit of a, hopefully, an elite environment to, to work in and to be a part of from a, a medical side of things. Definitely. And, and my, my view on that is that I feel like practitioners have to do that. Like, even if you do end up in the Premier League, in the Championship, like at those top levels at clubs that have got loads of resources, you've re- referenced yeah. loads of times that, yes, you have had opportunities when you've had more resources, but you learn so much from having nothing. And that, that's where you oh, create so much more. You create your yeah, philosophy, so don't you? That's where you get your, yeah. your principles that you're trying to hit. Um, I spoke to Damien Roden in the last podcast, and he was talking about going into different clubs, and he had his principles that he wanted to try and build on. And those principles are built from times where you, you go into clubs and you don't have yeah. that much. So like, yeah, that's totally I, I think people have to do that. And whether that's like a local club, even an amateur club, or whether it's a semi-professional club, there's so many yeah. opportunities out there to try and seek, isn't there, to try and take advantage of. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think, like, even with the resources online now, in terms of your learning, in terms of your development from a, a scientific point of view, seeing what other practitioners are doing, because a lot of people are putting it out there, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Some things you see, right, like, that's, like, I don't know why they're doing that. Like, that's what sometimes people think, or sometimes, like, that, that's superb. I might do a little bit of that. I might put that in there, but not copy it. But in terms of have your own thought process on that and how can that implement into your philosophy. And I think as a young practitioner, though, if anyone's listening to coming out of a, um, a university um, time where they're looking for a job and obviously haven't got any much experience, like I said, go and be thinking on leave and listen to, listen to podcasts like this, what people are doing and kind of somehow implement it in your own way. Um, I, think it, I think it's huge to, to go and do that. Um, and there's there's nothing wrong with with working in the non-league in terms of your experience um, and developing your philosophy. I think it's quite unique to have that because there's nobody there telling you what to do, and you haven't got to go by any um, like E triple P or anything like that, which obviously is superb. But we don't have that in that non-league, or non-league teams don't have that that you have to kind of abide by. You can kind of create your own philosophy by going and just putting the hard hard work in, into it really yeah. uh, and working with players like I said before whether it be one two or three that you can maximise their potential um, and really have that professionalism in, in football clubs so I think a lot of non-league clubs now are trying to get that professionalism whether it be for, like I said from players dropping down or managers going in there or new stadiums um, so they are trying they, they are starting to realise now that the gap isn't that big it's more of a professional side of things how can we make the club more professional and do the best we can so I think there'll be more roles coming up with non-league teams that are like graduate sports scientists graduate S&C coaches we need a bit of help here on the match day or a couple of days a week training sessions on a Tuesday and a Thursday night just go out there and go and do it and go and learn your trade in terms of create your own philosophy. And if you make mistakes, everybody makes mistakes. Um, I've made, made plenty of mistakes. Um, but again, you learn from those things. You learn from that adversity um, and you have to adapt to it. Brilliant. Mate, we've covered loads there. Some really good stuff, I think. And it covers a lot of the questions that we tend to get around working in non-league and, and the lower leagues yeah. as well. So I really appreciate that. But... We'll go into some of the quick fire that we always finish the podcast with now. First one being, who are some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Um, I think probably, even though he, he doesn't know this and I don't really speak to him, seeing John Iger work from a young from a young age and seeing what he does and what he did and trying to at walls in terms of that the, the brand new stuff with the gym work as a young, as a young uh, academy player then with the heart rate stuff and the GPS stuff, seeing that new environment, how he worked, really made me think, right, like I said to you previously, that if I had a career till I was 35, 36, this is what I want to go into. So I presume he's probably like a big influence on what I wanted to do. Um, and then again, like I said, working and speaking to, to John Phillips, it's like I'm always asking how he got to where, he, where he's been and, and what he's done. And it's a real... Listen, it's, it, it, listening to him, how he's developed and how he's worked and the, the timing of things. Timing's a massive thing. Like, obviously, I want to try and progress now and be, be at the top of the game that I can be, but I know that I've still got to learn my trade and still um, try and create my own philosophy and buy my time. I think that he's another 
a big influence on on my, my career so far in terms of having that real mentor, having that mentor there. And I think that again, like I said, if if you can kind of get a mentor within the game, uh, I think it does help. Definitely. Next one. What would you say your biggest strength is as a as a practitioner? Um, Christ. Um, I'd probably say me being out on the grass and being being around the lads, and that's not from a like a pally pally point of view, but that's from all the clubs I've been at. Whether it's gone back to Shrewsbury as a previous player, like having that buy-in, having that um, relationship with the players, where they're not just gonna just take your work, take whatever you say, and just not do anything with it, or the advice you give them, um, like a, a pinch of salt. Like I'm actually maximising players like capabilities in terms of giving me the information I'm giving them they're actually interested in and I think it's because I've been in their shoes previously that they understand where I'm coming from um, and that that, that buying as a practitioner and being out on the grass and being in the gym obviously I think that those those are my main strengths as a, as a practitioner um, and I think once you get once you get that buying from players it's um, it, it's, a, it's a massive help to your role Definitely. Next one. What we what's the best CPD that you've done in recent times? Whether that's like it might be courses, it might be podcasts, webinars, research you've read, articles, whatever. Like, what is there anything that you've done recently that you felt like you've you've wanted to implement in your practice, or that has had a big impact? Yeah, I think um, when I obviously during the lockdown, there's a load of like online webinars. Uh, that, were, that were brilliant to listen to uh, but it was actually uh, a, a catapult event that I went to um, at Ellen Road uh, probably I'd say four or five months just before the lockdown happened um, I, we went, I went to Ellen Road and there were there loads of different practitioners on and it was it was really refreshing to hear um, Tom Robinson speak who's obviously head of sports science at Leeds um, and how many obviously how many managers he's had to work under with, at the time at the football club because there was a spell where they had so many managers and then his philosophy had to change his planning had to change for each one uh, and then obviously listening obviously there's, there's massive hype now about how physically superbly prepared Leeds football club are, are. Uh, well, I mean we've had a boy this year came from came, come from Leeds under 23s and signed for us this year so obviously stories that he said and how much the work goes into the club and obviously hearing Tom speak about Bielsa mm-hmm. and how, what his philosophy is. And I mean, we, we had a boy on who was an England, um, England player who played for Leeds and like he'd been on, been on international, um, been on international duty for England. And then on the Padme shoot tonight, then obviously there's like, oh, day off tomorrow. He's like, no, no, I've got 11 v 11 tomorrow. And like, it was like, that was it. Like that was Bielsa's like, oh, we didn't 11 v 11 tomorrow. And everyone was like, you used to play 90 minutes. He said, no, but that's just, that's just how it is. We've we got to play. So it's like his, his philosophy on like work, work rate and workload. It's really, really interesting to see the insights of what I've, I've probably classed now as one of the teams that everyone looks up to in terms of work rate and distance covered and sprint distance covered, that how they work and, and what they have to do in, in implementing their programme. So, yeah, it was it, that was a, a real good insight. Again, we had some of the great practitioners talk. Chris Rush um, spoke. Yeah, uh, and I Caroline spoke as well. So again, it was like some real good people on on the on the course speaking, uh, and learned a lot from the, what they said in terms of implementing different things into their football clubs and 
building that, like I said, buying and building that um, uh, elite environment. Brilliant. And then just finally, mate, same sort of question, but for a coach and then a player, what would you say is the most important trait? And I think you've sort of covered this so far for, um, for a coach to be successful or to have impact with players. Um, I think there's a few things. I think dealing, being adaptable, being adaptable to different, obviously you're going to work with different managers, different managers are going to want different things from you. Um, I think being adaptable is huge. Um, then obviously, like I said, getting that buy-in from players, but dealing with that adversity. How do you deal with somebody who's not buying into your philosophy? How do you deal with somebody who's not going to go and do that extra pre-ed work or who's not going to take that nutritional advice um, or who's not bothered how much they run or top-up work that they need to be done? We've all had times where, it's, and I know from a player's point of view, it's horrible to go and do top-up work when you're not in the squad or you've been on the bench and you've sat you've sat on the, on the bench for 90 minutes and you've done no work and you're down in Dover away and you've got like another six-hour trip back home to get them to go and do some top-up work that's needed because it's needed, especially with the high-speed and sprint, sprint work with the acute current workload. It's really important for them to get that. So how do you do adversity of maybe a player that's been there, done it, has been in the championship and he's now in the National League? How are you going to go and tell him that he's got to go and do 10 box of boxes? Like that's dealing with the adversity yeah. when he's got when he's got when he's maybe got a bit of a strop on because he hasn't played. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like dealing with adversity. How as a person can you get them to go and do that work? So it's for me having that buy-in, being adaptable, and dealing with adversity because you're not going to get everybody to to be or play happy families and be and be your be your best friend. And then just and then a look from a player's point of view, is that the yeah, one? Yeah, I was just going to say from a player's point of view, but it'd be interesting tapping into your experience, obviously, as a player, but then reflecting now as a coach as well. Just on the players that you think have sort of either taken the step up, gone to the next level, like is there any common traits that you see with those sorts of players that are willing to do extra and that you as well as a coach now probably enjoy working with, but also have a big yeah. impact working with them as well? Yeah, I think, um, again, it's like the old saying, hard work beats talent. There's been there's so many boys that are in the non-league environment that have so much talent. And honestly, it's scary how good these players are, but they just don't have that willingness to, to improve and be better. And that's, that's not just tactically, that's obviously physically as well. Like, they could be seriously quick, but okay, let's get you, let's get you quicker. They could be seriously strong and have a great physique. Right, okay, how can we how can we improve that? But they, they kind of like don't want to know. Yeah. Um, so I think the the professionalism of, of a, a player and the hard work they put into the people who play in the Premier League, not only are they are footballers, but obviously from working with some like doing some off-season stuff out in Dubai, the the graph they put in is is unbelievable, and the time they put into it, the dedication they put into it whether that's farm rolling for 20 minutes, it's probably one of the most boring things in the world to do. But can can there's nothing wrong with farm rolling and watching your clicks back from the game on a Saturday if you're at home. So if you're on a Sunday and you we played a game on a Saturday and you're going to watch your clicks back that the analyst has sent you, watch your clicks back, farm roll, stretch, ice, whatever you need to do to prepare and get ready for it. I think that those guys who take that extra mile 
um, and that extra step in terms of looking after themselves um, is, a, is, a, is a real key thing to being a successful footballer. Uh, and probably in any sport, in any sport yeah. really. Um, yeah. I think that, I mean, I've worked privately with tennis players, golfers, rugby players, and they're all doing that extra stuff to become better. And I think there's, like, there's the, the Ronaldo documentary itself is just, that he's, he's, he's a 24-7 footballer. And I think that's what you have to do. You can't just be that 90-minute footballer on a Saturday or a Tuesday evening or whatever, whatever time you're playing. You have to be, it's your job. It's not just... A, a fun thing to do for, for some people some people it is some people not that bothered but the ones who really go to the top they are they are the most elite and the most professional yeah fully agree quality mate some really really good stuff in there so I appreciate you coming on and giving up your time no problem no problem I feel like that people will take a lot from it but there might be some conversations or questions that they might want on certain things to maybe make it a bit more specific to them. So if people have got questions, have you got anywhere that you direct them to sort of drop your message? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. Um, I know I'm on LinkedIn. So Elliot Turner on LinkedIn and on Twitter. Um, I don't know if you're going to put my handle up onto the, yeah, I'll put it in the, the show notes. Yeah. yeah. So um, just yeah, I'm I'm free to, to speak to anybody. I know I've got I've actually got a call with with Owen Jackson who's asked a few questions. So I've answered a few questions, but he's, he's asked me to have a bit of a, a Zoom call as well. But yeah, if anyone's got any questions, and I mean, listen, I'm I'm still only young in my role, so I know that people who are like people listening to it who are have 20 more years experience than me, they're probably not going to ask a question as such. But even if I could ask them a question or whatever or get networking like I, I try to do if I can speak to those guys about a few things that or say for example they've heard me speak and maybe impressed with a few things maybe they could drop me a message as well so they can have a chat or a catch up and maybe I can pick their brain as well uh, but then again like if any younger practitioners that are up and coming that want to dive into the non-league or try and start out after a university degree then or a master's then just yeah I'm, I'm free for conversation I'm always going to try and help because everybody needs help and everyone's I'm all everyone's there to learn it and I so um I'm I'm happy to, to answer anybody's questions. Top class, mate. Well, like I say, thank you very much for coming on. Just stay on the line a sec while I say bye, but yeah, really appreciate your time. No problem, mate. No problem. Big thank you, as always, for listening to the podcast. I appreciate everyone's support and especially people that reach out and let me know. Takeaways and feedback on the podcast episodes, I really appreciate that. And I know the guests do as well. Um, They come on and they give a hell of a lot of information away. So if you could reach out to the guests that have been on, obviously Elliot in this episode, but also previous guests, I know they'd love to hear from you. Um, You can either send the messages to us or you can link them up directly through their social media Talking to social media, go and check Elliot out. He's on Twitter at L Turner. So it's E-double-L and then Turner, T-U-R-N-E-R, and then the number eight on the end. You can also hit him up on LinkedIn as well. I really enjoyed this episode with Elliot because, like I said at the start, we've had a number of different messages from people speaking about um, speaking to practitioners at different levels. And I think this really will resonate with a lot of coaches and practitioners out there. And just the first thing I'd say on it is one of the big takeaways is there's a lot of opportunities out there in football. We speak about the market being saturated, not being many jobs. 
And I think that is the case in, in the professional level, but there's also a lot of other opportunities out there to develop you as a practitioner and to go and get your hands dirty, go and get stuck in with some of these clubs because I know a lot of clubs will be dying out for um, some of the skill sets that you can take to them and a lot of what Elliot spoke about in this episode. Also, um, one of the takeaways for me was where he spoke about being used to the changing room environment. So obviously that was a perk of playing, but it's not just from playing, it is just getting used to the whole changing room environment, whether you play different sports or been a, around that sort of changing room environment is something that I, I think a lot of practitioners, if they've not been involved with, will have to get used to. He spoke about look and timing as well. And I think a, li- a lot of this comes down to, we've talked about it before in terms of networking, building a network, but not just being, um, and I've, I always resonate back to the episode with Sam Joyce, where he spoke about like a level one networker. And you've got to be a level two, a level three, a level four, a level five network. You've got to go above and beyond, not just have a network, but utilize that network. And that's essentially what Elliot has done to land some of the roles that he's been in so far. And I'm sure what he'll do to go on to the next few roles he'll go into as well. Um, the other thing around creating elite environments, I think depend, like he's talked about in the episode, regardless of the level that you're at, these clubs want to operate in an elite, in an elite way. And the players do as well. You're getting players down from the Football League, maybe the Premier League, that are coming down on loan to these clubs. They don't want to be in a in a semi-professional environment. They want to be in an elite environment. They want to run in an elite way. And Elliot, that's what Elliot talks about. He tries to run this programme, even though it might not have the resources of a Premier League club, as a Premier League environment. And then just finally, um, within his role, and he spoke about it, a number of different clubs, utilising universities, so there's certain things that we can we can pull into in our roles um, and pull from people like universities. It might be going getting testing done or using bits of kit. Like reach out to people. The worst you're going to get is someone saying no. Uh, we might have to take a few rejections, but you've got to try and think of the wins that you will get from it as well. It, it only takes one or two people to say yes and to get a few links with certain companies or universities or whatever it is. And suddenly it could have a big impact on the program. So I really enjoyed this episode. I said to Elliot, it was great to have him on and discuss the challenges and some of the things that he's implemented. So I really do thank him for giving up his time and coming on. I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. I think practitioners at any level can take a lot from this one too. Um, So reach out, let me know what you think of the episode. And like I mentioned at the start, if you're not already left an iTunes review, please head over to iTunes, click the five stars, leave us a short comment because it'll do the world for the podcast. Um, And yeah, we will send you out. If you screenshot that review, send it to mail at footballfitfed.com. We'll send you out a free ebook as a thank you. But again, massive thank you for listening to the podcast and to Elliot for giving up his time. And I'll speak to you again next week in episode 137.